0: Take out your Bible, if you would, and open to the last page of the book of Luke. Last chapter. Yes, somebody's excited, ready to move on, right? Let's move on. Last chapter, last paragraph, last few verses. Uh, We started our study of the Gospel of Luke in January 2011. 2011. I found out this week from Marilyn Duncan, who works with Michael Lloyd and I, that this is message number 100, and this is it. This is the last one. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That was totally unintentional, but pretty cool. We're glad to do it. We're going to finish today. Uh, Mike will come next week and do a review of the Gospel of Luke, and if we continue at this torrid pace through the rest of the Bible, I want you to know this. I, I figured this out. We'll be back in the book of Luke in the year 2143. So... <laughs> So keep your notes, definitely keep your notes. Um, I'll be 168 years old then. Michael and Lloyd will be long since dead and gone. They'll be out. And if you're here with me, I'll let you teach it with me. We'll do that. In the year 2143, you know, it's funny. I, I have two Bibles now where when I open them, the pages of the book of Luke and only Luke, they, they're they the ones that fall out. I've turned to it so many times over the last two and a half years. I was studying the book of Joshua the other morning and I was reading about the, the Jericho, this conquest of Jericho, unbelievable story. I, I got to the end of it. My hairs kind of blown back. And my first thought is this, I wonder what Luke wants me to know for sure. Of course, <laughs> Luke didn't write Joshua, right? Joshua wrote Joshua was just stuck in my head. Every time that my kids get in a fight, it's like, why don't we turn to the book of Luke? That's the only book I really know. Let's just turn right there. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Every time that they have a question, it's like, hey, here's a mini sermonette. From what? From the book of Luke. How about that? Yeah. I dream now in the book of Luke. No, that part's not true. I don't dream in the book of Luke. You know, it's funny. This, this is just the truth. The reality is all, all that's true. And, and yet we have only begun to scratch the surface of what it is to know and to believe in Jesus Christ, to follow him. Only just begun a hundred messages don't do justice to the glory of the God, man, do they? See, two years in the book of Luke, it, it doesn't compare to God's historical redemptive plan from the beginning of time. And so what a great privilege it is to get to immerse ourselves, to get to soak ourselves in the book of Luke for this period of time. And, and I do believe this. I, I do believe that Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I, I do believe that he's accomplishing his purpose in us. I believe that there are some things that we as a group, we've heard this from you, we now know for sure. Some ways that the Spirit of God is changing us and places that many of us have a deeper resolve. Uh, places that we have been overwhelmed by the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts. and places where his sacrifice on our behalf has so penetrated our soul that it's just undone us. Places that his power and authority have been so awesome that they lead us to worship. It's certainly true in my life. I'm different today than I was two years ago. Praise God. Holy Spirit in me is changing me, growing me. There's some things today that are now foundational, that are now bedrocked that, that weren't quite the same back then. I can't tell you how many times I've stepped back from the book of Luke and, and, and just thought, gosh, the Lord allowed that to happen? Like God used that person, Pharisees, they were involved in that way, thief on the cross, Peter's denial, like, all that was a part of his plan? Yeah, like step back, unbelievable, yes. God is 100% in control all the time. Work in every detail according to his purpose. He will accomplish, nothing will thwart. His redemptive purpose and plan through the work of his son. I get that in my head, I can't get it out. I know it for sure, right? Michael's good friend and mentor, the prof, Howard Hendricks, died this year. Michael did the service. Maybe you were in here when he talked about prof the weekend after he had gotten back. Prof is an old Dallas Theological Seminary professor. And I love what Prof said about this book. He said, it's not meant to inform, but to transform. It's not meant to inform, but to transform. See, we, we don't do this as an exercise in knowledge. It, it is that we, we do it that we might be changed. And my prayer for us this morning as we come to the last four verses and my prayer for us for whatever book we look at next and whatever book we look at after that is, is that we will be transformed, changed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as, as Michael said last week, by the word of God, by the spirit of God and by the people of God. That's my prayer. You know, in this section, there's a header above it. It just simply says the ascension. In my Bible, it's, it refers to the time, the end of Jesus' time on earth, the moment that he departs and is carried up into heaven. And I want you to know this morning, we're just we're going to look at this ascension in three parts. What happened? why it matters, and how the disciples respond. What, why, and how. And when we get to how, how the disciples respond, I, I think that we will understand why they respond in that way. And I think that we will desire to respond in the same way as well. So look at the text with me this morning and let's get to work. Verse 50. As he led them out as far as Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. We'll start with what happened. First thing we notice here is that Luke is very brief. He talks about the ascension again in Acts chapter 1, which emphasizes the significance of this event, that he describes it twice. But even in Acts, there isn't much detail. And so we just go with what we know. The text says that he leads them to Bethany. Bethany is a suburb of Jerusalem. It's about two miles outside of the city. You go out the east gate. Bethany sits on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. I want you to know that Jesus, it was a familiar place for him. He had friends there, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had spent many evenings in their home. And and Bethany was the place of the triumphal entry. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of of a donkey just a few days before his crucifixion on the cross. That started in Bethany. And so we know this about Bethany. Bethany is the place where where Jesus enters Jerusalem to do his greatest work. And Bethany is the place that he goes when his great work is done. And and then we see there in in Bethany, when they're there, that Jesus raises his hands and he blesses them. Don't know what he said. We do know that it was important. These were Jesus's last words to his disciples while he was still on earth. And it seems to me that Jesus's words here were heard differently by his disciples. They were heard differently than they had ever been heard before. Now, why would I say that? Well, we know from the previous passage that it has only been since the resurrection that Jesus opened their minds and their hearts to understand the scriptures. It's only been since the resurrection that Jesus connected the dots between Old Testament promises and prophecies and what happened on the cross. It's only been since the resurrection that Jesus has has helped them to understand the the message of forgiveness for, for them and that the message of forgiveness would be the message that they would go and proclaim, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. What I'm saying here is that since the resurrection, this is the first time that they've really gotten it. It's just now that they've fully understood how all these things are connected to Christ. And so when he opens his mouth to bless them, I think they heard him without all the doubts, the questions, and the confusion that had plagued them for so long. I can't get this image out of my head. One of my favorite movies is this old basketball movie called Hoosiers. If you're under 30, you probably never heard of it, but it's, it's a good one. And, and there's this scene at the very end of the movie where this old coach, Gene Hackman, who's had this un- unbelievable season, first season with this team, the Hickory Huskers, he, he's, he's talking to them right before the state championship game. And it's like all the preparation's done, all the teaching, all the instruction, all the game planning, all that's, that's done, and he, he just looks at them and he says, I love you guys. He blesses them. I think that's what this felt like to the disciples. All the instruction was done. Commission had been set. All the teaching. Jesus had explained everything. He'd opened their eyes for them. And he, he just looks at them. And he blesses them. And they believe him. And then finally, this last little part in this first section, what happened? It says, it says while blessing them, he departs and is carried up into heaven. Interesting phrase there, he was carried up. Mark says he was taken up. And so it seems that God the Father, who is the one who sent Jesus to earth, is also the one that brings him home. You don't carry up yourself, right? So Jesus is sent by the will of the Father and Jesus returns home at the will of the Father when his work is done. So Jesus' ascension is both a departure from earth and it is an arrival in heaven. Mark 16, 19 says about this same account. It says, so then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews says that he sat down because his work was finished. The metaphor there, the, the right hand of god it 's a metaphor for divine power metaphor for the, the the power of God, power and authority of god it 's not separating Jesus from God, the Father like he has power he 's at his right hand no it 's a metaphor that they together have all power and authority over all of heaven and earth it 's why first Peter three says when when Jesus sits down at the right hand of God, all angels, all authorities, all powers have heaven and earth are subject to him so even as jesus is leaving and blessing those closest to him he is also being received and coronated as the rightful king over all heaven and earth by his father and all the angels that's what happened okay now let's look at why this is so important why well, it matters we tend to emphasize including me as we go through the gospel account we tend to emphasize dead buried raised right dead buried raised very important things but we tend to emphasize that and and when we do i, I think sometimes we can underemphasize that he then departed but we can miss that he had to leave And we certainly don't think about this, at least not very often. Here's what I'm going to suggest in in this section as we answer the why question. I I would suggest that Jesus' leaving is actually the thing that brings him closer to us. Suggesting that his leaving, his departure, his ascension is actually the thing that will bring him closer to us. Let me see if I can unpack that. We'll start here. Jesus, he says to his disciples in John 16, 7, he says, it will be better for you if I leave. And he says this, for if I don't leave, then the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, if I leave, then I will send him. See, get this, no ascension, no Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus does not go, spirit will not come, and the gospel stays hidden with these very few disciples in the upper room. So let's build on that. Now, we can't miss that it is Jesus as the one who sends the spirit, turns to heaven and he sends the spirit, and it is the spirit who continues the work of Christ. He continues the work of Christ in and through those who believe in Christ. That's why Romans 8 can say, Paul will say this. He calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. He is the extension of Christ. He is of the same essence as Christ, which is why Jesus can say to them, these disciples, right before he leaves into the book of Matthew, Lo, I am with you always. How? Through the Holy Spirit, even until the end of the age. Now, let's take it one step further. The reason that Jesus goes and sends the Spirit is because Jesus, in his new resurrected body, remember this from two weeks ago, Jesus in his glorified but yet still physical body cannot be present in all places at once. But the Spirit can. So the Spirit indwells me as a believer in Jesus Christ. He is with me. He's present with me. He dwells me, he transforms me, He changes me, He empowers me in just the same way that He is with you, even if we are not in the same place. In just the same way that He is with a believer in China right now. So, let's bring it all together. Jesus' is leaving is the means for His disciples, both them and us, to draw closer to Him in a way that could never be possible in the physical sense. The beauty of the ascension is that in Jesus' physical absence, he makes way for his spiritual presence. Get that? That's what happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had to leave. Which brings us to how the disciples respond. Look at verse 52. It says, and they, that's the disciples, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually in the temple praising God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus leaves and no one grieves? Interesting. It's like this is the one they've been following for three years. One they had left homes and jobs for. One who had loved them, who had cared for them, who had invested in them, who believed in them. He leaves, he's gone. They're, they're not going to see him again on, on this side of eternity. They're not going to see him again in this lifetime. And no one sheds a single tear. In fact, the text says that they are glad he goes. So what's the verse say? They return to Jerusalem with what? With great joy. They are really glad that he goes. Does, does that strike anybody as odd? Yeah, it's odd. Everywhere else in the Gospel of Luke and all the other Gospel accounts for that matter. Anytime Jesus even talks about leaving, says their hearts are filled with sorrow. John 16, 6, every time I talk about leaving you, your hearts are filled with sadness. Not here. Why is that? What has changed? Well, here's what's changed. This is the first time that these disciples have seen Jesus for who he really is and what it really means. This is the first time their eyes are fully open. We go back to last week. Jesus says to them, everything written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms, all of that, it's been fulfilled in me. Jesus opens their hearts and their minds to understand what has been written. Jesus connects all that was prophesied and promised to all that he has just done. And then he looks at them and he says to them, and you are my witnesses to it all. You saw everything with your own eyes. Saw me crucified on the cross. You saw me raised from the grave. You see me now ascending into heaven where I belong. And right there in that moment, their eyes are fully open." They see him with full view. They understand what it all means. They believe and they know it for sure. Have you ever been uh, driving around town at the end of the day and um, you're just catching glimpses of the sunset through the trees? This happens to me fairly often as I drive home from work down Franklin Road and up over Linwood Way, what we affectionately call the mountain there, and we go up and over. That, that's my drive home, and it happens often to me that I'll catch these glimpses of the sunset through the trees. See it for a minute and blocked out by the trees, and I'm hoping for what, right? I'm hoping for a, an opening long enough, right, that I can really take it all in. Hoping I get high enough or there's a clearing big enough. You know what I'm talking about. One of my favorite places on earth is the beach at sunset. It's probably only second to the Augusta National Golf Club. So that's for <laughs> beach second. It's my favorite because I love the sunset on the water. It's spectacular. And typically, if we're down at the beach, you know, we'll, we'll be back at the rental house for, for dinner or for cleaning up the kids at, at sunset. And Hillary knows me well enough that she'll just kind of give me this nod and I'm out, slip out the front door and I'm hurrying back down to the beach to, to catch the sunset. Along the way, I'm getting glimpses right through the houses. Wow, that's gonna be beautiful. Over the top, partial view, wow. That's gonna be beautiful. But the minute my feet hit the stand, sand, I just, I just stop. And the beauty it arrests my soul. I drink it in, all of it. Sit down and just marvel at God's incredible creation. The colors that change almost every second. The Sun that gets bigger in the sky. You've seen this; just gets bigger the lower it gets. The beauty of the colors on the water, the breeze, the sand in my feet. It's just like I can't get enough of it. That picture, the whole picture there on the beach, it's totally different than the glimpses along the way. Glimpses along the way, they're beautiful, but they, they don't quite do justice to the real thing. See, the disciples, they, they have gotten glimpses of Jesus all along the way. Beautiful, amazing glimpses. But they couldn't see the whole picture. They didn't understand what it all meant. Now the picture is complete. They're taking it all in and they can't stop staring. See, the ascension is the tipping point. All of their doubts, all of their questions, all of their confusion, all their selfishness, all their who's the greatest and what do we do next Where are we going from here? All that, it gets totally swallowed up. It's tiny compared to the son of God who's rising on the horizon. And when they get it, they do the only thing they could possibly do. They explode into worship. This is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. This is God incarnate, born of a virgin, worshiped by shepherds and by angels. This is the son of man, the son of man who when tempted went without sin. Son of God who has power and authority over demons and disease and death. This is the savior of the world. One who offered his life that we might be forgiven our sin and restored relationship with God. The one who raised from the grave victorious over sin and death. This is the king of kings who is ascending now to his rightful throne over all, whose name is above all names. They were certain of it and they couldn't contain themselves. And the text says they can't stop worshiping. They go back to Jerusalem. They're continually in the temple praising God. Think about this just for a minute. Who is it that hangs out in the temple? All the religious leaders, Jerusalem. That's who hangs out in the temple. The religious leaders who have just killed Jesus. The temple is the Sanhedrin's break room, it's where they hang. The temple is not a safe place. Where are the disciples? Praising God publicly in the temple. Why? Because when you see Jesus for who he really is and for what it really means, you will do what you were made to do regardless of what it costs. That's why. They worship him. They worship him personally, every aspect of their lives. And they worship him corporately They worship corporately in this way, continually moving forward. And as we come to the end of our study of the Gospel of Luke, I I might just sum it up this way. The primary purpose of the church, it's to worship God. Luke begins and ends with the worship of God. Begins with Mary and Zachariah and Anna. Simeon in the temple, praising the name of Jesus Christ, an eight-year-old, eight-day-old infant who he knows by the Spirit of God to be the Son of God. He worships him, and certainly worship is at the end. Certainly that's what the disciples are doing at the end. And so we could think of no better way than to end our study of the Gospel of Luke, than to join with those disciples who stood on the Mount of Olives in Bethany those disciples who are at the temple in Jerusalem, disciples who have been the church ever since and worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jason and the band have come out to lead us. I've shortened my message a little bit so that we can have some time to respond. We've planned about 10 minutes in our service to do this. And I just wanna give you permission to respond wherever you are in your relationship with Christ. Please don't feel any pressure in this, any manipulation. I want you to just be who you are, right where you are in your relationship with him. For some of us, probably most of us, it's going to look like standing up and singing. We're we're ready. It's like, I want to respond with all that I am to all that God is, the greatness of who he is. It's so clear in our study of the gospel of Luke. For some of you, it's maybe standing and praying, or maybe it's sitting for a minute and praying. Asking God to to show you himself. Asking the spirit of God to help you understand for sure. You're just, you're not quite there yet. Totally okay. Can I say this? A decision to place your trust in Christ for your salvation. That's an act of worship. A, A decision to trust God for whatever circumstance or fear that you have in your life right now. That's an act of worship. Just stand there and offer it to him. Maybe you're in a place right now where where you need to to repent. You have made Jesus really small. You've made him less than. Can I just say this without being totally redundant? Jesus is not small, not at all. It's huge, enormous, beyond our imagination, with us, present. Or maybe for you, it's a real tangible display. You need to come down here and kneel on these steps. Just laying down your pride as an act of your surrender to him, your whole life to him. Just offering yourself, God, whatever you would do with me, I want to just mark this moment and I need to do that tangibly as several did last night. You have permission, okay? And you have the time. And so let's worship him as a community of faith. Would you stand with us as we sing.
1: Is a son of our praise, let there be no higher name, Jesus, Son of God, you laid down your perfect life, you are the sacrifice, Jesus, Son of God, on the altar. life, you are the sacrifice, Jesus, Son of God, you are Jesus, Son of God, you are Jesus, Son of God, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, oh my soul only name sing like never before all oh, my soul I worship Slow to anger, your name is great, and your heart is kind. strength is failing, the end draws near, and my time has come. Still my soul will see your praise.
0: book of Luke, it begins with Simeon praising God in the temple. The book of Luke ends with disciples praising God in the temple. But I want you to know that their worship does not end there. They continue to worship him by carrying out his work, by carrying forward his mission. They worship in Jerusalem, yes, but they worship in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so I want to send you out this morning in the same way that Jesus sent them out. It's to go and to worship in your city, in our state, in our nation, into the ends of the earth. It's to go and to make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, all that you and I now know for sure. And then Jesus says this, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age.
1: Amen? Amen. Go in peace.